Welcome to No Romance Without Finance, the show for women who know that while love don't cost a thing, it also doesn't pay the bills. I am your host, Patty Asai. The intention behind this podcast is to honor my mother. Due to her lack of financial independence, she was stuck in a mentally abusive relationship and saw no way out. And in the process, she lost herself, her self-esteem, and eventually her life. After her death, I made it my mission to do everything in my power to make sure not another woman suffers like my mother did because she can't support herself financially. So whether you're dating, married, somewhere outside or in between, this show will give you tools and nuggets of knowledge that you can implement immediately, which will help you manage your money, grow your career and create a fulfilling independent life. Let's get into it and find out why there is no romance without finance. Welcome to No Romance Without Finance. We are back and I am super excited to have our guest here today. She is an Iranian woman who I just adore and not just because I'm Iranian. Uh, Her name is Nina Takesh and I could go on forever and her bio is so amazing, guys. I could read her bio for the entire podcast, but I'm just going to shorten it and then we're just going to talk about it. So Nina is a world-renowned designer whose passion for architecture and design has been intimately woven into the fabric of her life. Born in Tehran, she moved to Beverly Hills with her parents and sister when she was six years old. Her grandfather, one of the 10 most prominent industrialists of Iran, was also a member of the parliament of the Shah's regime. Her father, a renowned architect, had a significant influence on Nina's design sense and passion for the arts. Growing up, Nina continued her schooling in French at the prestigious school. Uh, how do you say that, Nina? Le Lycée Français de Los Angeles. Oh, there you go. I love it. I couldn't say it with that accent. Well, you just say Lycée. <laughs> Lycée, all right. And yeah. spent her summers in the south of France and Switzerland at her family homes in Switz and boarding schools. Uh, Nina earned a BA in sociology with a minor in French literature at the University of California, San Diego, and her MBA at Pepperdine International Program in Paris. Uh, She speaks four languages. And while she was in Paris, Nina met her husband, who's from Argentina, and they moved to Buenos Aires. She worked as a marketing executive for Kimberly Clark, managing the Huggies Infant Care Division, as well as other multinational companies such as Coca-Cola. And in 2001, she and her husband moved back to Los Angeles, where she gave birth to her son. And because of her background, she opened the doors to Petit Tresor, which became one of the most prestigious baby boutiques and brands in the United States and abroad. And Anina designed nurseries for royalty and celebrities, such as Jennifer Lopez, wow, Lisa Marie Presley, Katie Holmes, Heidi Klum, Gwen Stefani, to name a few. If that weren't enough, she also constructed her own family home, which is a 6,000 square foot residence perched in Beverly Hills. And in 2019, Nina launched her interior design firm, which quickly became exceedingly successful. She has clients all over the world and has amassed a social media following between Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube of almost a million And she has partnered with esteemed brands, 
And she has her own YouTube channel, Red Elevator, which I love. If you guys haven't seen it, go see it, where she showcases her love of design and shares her passion with all her followers. Nina, welcome to No Romance Without Finance. So happy you could join us. Patty, thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be on your podcast. Congratulations. Thank you so much. And one of the main reasons I am so in love with you is because your design taste is just impeccable. I mean, I love design and everything that you do. I'm like, yeah, I would do that. I would do that. So tell us a little bit about, you know, I, I, I read your bio, but where do you think your sense of design comes from? That's a good question. I believe that you're inherently born with some creative abilities, either you're more of a right brain or a left brain. And I was born with more of a left brain tendency. My father um, is an architect, so I was always surrounded by architecture. And I remember even taking AP art in high school, and I would paint buildings. People were painting, you know, a fruit wow. bowl or people and I was painting buildings and people would say, is that your house that you're painting? I said, no, I just love this house. It just needs to be painted. So I just right. think it was in me from, from birth, honestly. Wow. It's, it's really amazing. I mean, you just do such great work and I'm so proud of your success. Thank you. So let's get into what this podcast is about. No romance without finance. And, you know, I'm all about empowering women to be financially independent and reading your background it seems to me that you grew up in a semi-wealthy background or you come from a semi-wealthy background or a wealthy background. Is that accurate? And tell me a little bit about how you grew up in, in a family, especially in Iran, and then you know you migrated out and what happened. So uh, you're correct in your assumption. We were, I was lucky enough to be, grew up in a very privileged family, not only from my mother's side, but also from my father's side. And uh, I really didn't know life any differently than having been in this really privileged home where we left Iran, we moved to France for a while and stayed in Port-la-Galère. And then we decided to purchase a home in Beverly Hills. And of course, that was, you know, an architectural dream of a home. And mm. I felt very fortunate. I don't know if I really understood the depth of it. I mean, my, my grandfather was part of the parliament and, you know, just think, you know, the high, high, high society. However, when we moved to Los Angeles, it was a different life altogether in the sense that we just kept living this, you know, this very affluent life for many years until mm -hmm. I went to college and my parents, you know, separated and finances became more difficult and all the access we had to to money was, you know, a lot of it was taken away and we were just living on, you know, what we had brought and we were living right. very, you know, an exorbitant life. So eventually what sure. happens is that money runs out. And mm -hmm. so thank God my mother really put an emphasis on education and the importance of um, being independent. She, you know, was raised in a boarding school and in both England and in Switzerland, never really lived in Iran except when she was forced to get married. So she was very much, I think, deep down upset about the fact that she was in an arranged marriage, although she did fall in love with my father uh, and, and loved him very much, but always wanted an out for me because she was forced to get married at the age of 17, which seems so archaic. Right. Um, today, yeah. but at the time it was, you know, the norm. It was two great families combining their, you know, their their 
their power and, and, and having more power, sort of. Right. And so for her, it was extremely important that I learn to be an independent woman. And she always instilled that in me. So when I went to Lycée Francais, of course, studied, etc. And then she insisted that uh, my sister and I go to uh, Westlake School for Girls. Now, Westlake School for Girls is a very independent thinking school that promotes and, you know, you had a lot of um, women activists that would come as speakers. So we'd mm-hmm. have Betty Friedan, we'd have Shirley Chisholm, wow. we would have, oh you know, gosh. a lot of independent thinkers in our assembly on Mondays, and we would just listen to these women speak. And that felt normal. That felt like that is how it's supposed to be. Because I was lucky enough to have a mom that really pushed independence and women activism without really, you know, being a true activist. It was just ingrained in her. So I learned everything from her. And if it wasn't for those experiences and if it wasn't Mm -hmm. for my desire and need to always be pushing myself, I don't know. You know, I have no idea where I'd I'd be today. It's a mystery. Sure. Yeah, you know, you're really lucky because... A lot of children that are from affluent families just lose their drive. I always say the biggest killer of ambition is affluence as a child. And I see it even today with my friends who are brilliant people, absolutely brilliant, but they're doing nothing. And that's just because they have affluent families. And for me, you know, unlike you, we did have a a very great life in Iran. My parents were very well-to-do in Iran. And when we moved, it was the opposite, where we couldn't take out a lot of the money that we had in Iran. We left on the last flight that was out, that was allowed out of Iran. The airspace was closed after that. So all the banking was closed, everything. And due to the language barrier, my parents could not obtain jobs in their respective fields. So we had, we went from like riches to rags very, very quickly. And I think just the same thing that your mother instilled in you, she instilled in me. And my mother worked. She always worked. She had a very prominent career. She worked for the Shah of Iran. She was the head nurse in, in the hospital. So her wow. her career was, yeah, she, her career was better than really my dad's. But she always instilled in me that you have to work. And I saw her work and I saw her drive. And when I came to the U.S., I was very lucky for me that we were poor and broke because I think where that's where my drive came from. So how did you feel the lack of finances? Were were you ever at a point where you felt like you had to work for your dinner, for lack of better words? Well, so something really specific happened to me. I, um, as I mentioned, lived this great privileged life. Everything was paid for. I had access to, you know, to a lot of money from my father who, was, who would spoil us. And he mm-hmm. thought he was doing the right thing. So when I was right. in college, you know, everybody was on a tight budget. My father would send me, and I'll never forget this, $1,000 every three weeks. Now, this is back in the day, which was wow. quite a bit of money. Even to this day, it's a lot of money. <laughs> yes, and that's after having paid my college, my car, my insurance, every oh my food, gosh. everything. So it was just money to burn. And I certainly didn't feel the squeeze. And what mm-hmm. happened was I went to business school soon after that, and my father was still sending me money. And then I graduated from business school. I got my first job in a, a Japanese trading house. And I'll never forget it. My salary was $36,000, which at the time I'm like, oh, wow, 36000 Not really, really a rise. What year was this? This was 1993. 
Okay. I get my first real full-time job mm-hmm. and um, I get a phone call soon thereafter from my father who said, listen, I just want to let you know that I'm not going to be paying your car payment anymore. And I said, oh, why is that? And he said, well, because you, you now have a full-time job. And I said, okay, I get that. That's cool. I, I get that. And then he said, but nor am I paying your, your rent. And I said, oh. you're not paying my rent or my car? I said, what about my car insurance? He goes, no, I don't think I'm going to be paying your car insurance. I said, my gas car for mobile? He oh said, not, not your gas card. For Basically, he cut me off. Why did he do that? I didn't find out about this until I would say five years ago. Oh, okay. Uh, very the reason he cut me off is my sister told him, and they're very, very, very close. Mm-hmm. said and my sister's you know she's an attorney she says she does everything like to the t and is right. very responsible fiscally etc and she said if you give nina a dollar like one dollar mm-hmm. i will not speak to you again ever so mm. you know we're not going to get into why she did that i think she yeah. was you know i think she wanted me to be responsible and she wanted me okay. to take ownership of my life and not sure. just live this you know yes. um, carefree life and so that really turned me upside down because I realized that, first of all, I had already leased myself or whatever, financed mm-hmm. uh, BMW. I lived in this great two-bedroom apartment in <laughs> yes. Brentwood. Life was great. And You're Persian. You I'm Persian. I have to things. have a BMW, right? <laughs> and so when I sat down to do my finances, I'm like, okay, this is how much money I make. And this, these are my overhead expenses. And I realized that I had, now I'm not even exaggerating. This is, mm-hmm. this is the exact truth. Sure. I had $4 left a day for food. That's breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Oh my gosh. After everything was paid oh for. My gosh. And I couldn't go back to my father and ask for money. I wasn't going to do that, nor was he going to give it to me. So right. that is when reality hit and it hit hard. And that meant no shopping, no you know, no, no food, right. no going out with friends. It was right. tough. Yes. So I literally, I bought a ba- big bag of rice, a big, you know, canned corn. I kid <laughs> you not. And I took it to my sister's house because she lived next to my office where I was working. And during uh-huh. lunch, everybody would go to Subway or CPK or whatever. Yeah. And I would drive to my sister's house and make food there. And wow. she was always supportive of me in that sure. sense uh, of being independent. So she's like, come over. You don't have any money. That's okay. Just you know, it'll, it'll cost you 50 cents to eat at my house versus, you know, $8. And I'm yeah. like, well, 50 cents is in line with what I've got for my $4 budget a day with $4. <laughs> and I was freaked. So not only did I do that, I decided that when I was working full time that I needed a second job. I wasn't, I needed to be able to go out with friends and, you know, be able to do things. So I got a second job um, doing some work at the Valley Economic Development Center, which is through the SBA. And yes, I know exactly. I know them very well. Yes. Oh, you do? Great. Yes. yes. Well, I, we do SBA financing. So yes, I, I oh. know them very well. Oh, yes. wonderful. So yeah. that's where I started doing some consulting work and writing reports for the city of Pacoima so that mm-hmm. they can, you know, uh, and better their city. And, and, you know, there was a flower shop that needed aid and marketing and so forth. So I would write these reports for the city and I'd get paid. So what I was doing is I was double, I was sort of double double downing and I would write some of these reports after hours or when you know it was slow at work and then I would drive over there drop my report off and then I would get paid so I literally started to hustle and I started to hustle hard and then I realized that I had all these credit card debts because you know I just wasn't paying attention paying minimum on my credit cards and charging away and Mm -hmm. you know not being 
the right human that I needed to be in order to be able to advance in life. So then I then I just it started to click. I said, well, if when I had to pay for my own things and I mm-hmm. saw how difficult it was to make $5, I right. decided that I needed to look at how my money was being spent and thinking about paying interest was knowing how hard I had to work just to pay the interest didn't make right. sense to have any credit card debt. So yes. I just started amen. paying it. Amen. Hallelujah. I paid everything yes. off. You know, yes. every check I got, let's say it was $600, I would do 500 towards a credit card and 100 for, for food because I was right. hungry. <laughs> Nina, that that's amazing yeah. that you said that. And I, I really relate to you getting another job and getting a side hustle. You know, I I was in law school full time and I had three jobs. No joke. I wow. had yeah, I had a job at a law firm and I had two waitressing jobs. So I was hustling and I still would eat ramen weeks on end because it was really expensive to live in Chicago. And even when I became an attorney, I was a prosecuting attorney. My salary was $30,000 a year in 1996. I was living in Chicago again, and I couldn't afford to live. So I had to be a waitress at night. So I was doing both. I was attorney by day, and I was waitress at night. And I want to get your thoughts on this, because a lot of Gen Z really frown upon hustling, right? The hustle culture is the is a toxic word these days. That you know you don't want to hustle. You're you're going to be burnt out. I don't I don't want to work hard. That's just toxicity. What do you say to those people? I say that you will never understand what real work is until you are put in a position where you have to hustle. And in fact it brings you a kind of joy that you never expected. In the hard work, in giving all of yourself to something outside of you, you find peace and happiness. And the reason is, if you're focused on yourself all the time, my well-being and my greatness, especially at a young age, Mm -hmm. and my, you know, this, and, you know, I'm all a proponent for mental health and all of those things and taking care of yourself. It's come to this point where people are just becoming lazy. And I know I'm going to get flack for it, but there is not everyone, but there is a group of, of, of youngsters that feel that because they've been helicopter parented mm-hmm. or that they have had it sort of easy that they need to take it easy to a certain extent or, or make money easily and quickly. Right. But you're never going to get a payoff from your hard work unless you've worked really hard and you're never going to get that satisfaction. And the satisfaction of your hard work, which pays off, in turn gives you the fuel to keep going and makes you happy. That's where happiness comes from. So yes. it's just inherent. And it's just um, a lot of it is, is chemical as well. When you're up and you're working and you're doing, it's a lot better chemically for you because your endorphins are being released than if you're sitting in bed going, what am I going to do today? What should I do today? And be, you, there's no time for that. Yeah, it's sitting in bed complaining about why you don't have money. Sitting in bed complaining about why you can't afford a house or, you know, all these things. And I I get a lot of comments on TikTok when I talk about getting a side hustle and, and you know, just a lot of Gen Z, they're just like, no, well, my mental health is more important to me. That's okay. If your mental health is more important to you, that's what you want to prioritize. And you don't think your mental health is going to be, for lack of better words, good, 
by having a side hustle, fine, but then don't complain, right? So you right. can't have one without the other. If you're going to, if you think that you getting a side hustle is going to affect your mental health negatively, great, don't do it. But don't blame the government. Don't blame the economy. You know, don't blame the man. Don't blame, you know, what society is doing because you can't afford to buy the things you want to buy. And I also think that there's a big misconception out there around what we could afford to do back then on a minimum wage salary. I hear a lot of creators talk about, oh, well, boomer, you know, when during your time, if you worked a minimum wage job, you could buy a house. No, you couldn't. Absolutely. Are you kidding? There's never a time in history where you worked a minimum wage job and was able to afford to buy a house. I mean, I don't care where you live, right? So those are all the misconceptions. That's very true. I never thought of it that way, but that is the absolute truth. I mean, we lived it. We were making 36,000, which at the time was, you know, an okay salary. I mean, you were an attorney, I had an MBA and we still, I still couldn't pay all of my bills. Exactly. Exactly. So the, the, the notion that we don't understand because we had it easy and they're having it so hard is just not right. And if you want to buy a house, you can't afford it. You need to get a second job. The best way to make more money is to make more money. It's not just going to fall yeah. out of the sky, right? And <laughs> exactly. I think that's the misconception. And, and you know, people would look at you and they look at me, but I, I just, I want to take the focus off me and put it on you and that, you know, you're so well, well-spoken, you speak four languages, you know, you're, you're such an elegant woman in the way that you carry yourself. You're so super Thank successful you. and they don't understand what went into you getting to where you are. So I want to go back and talk about, you know, you're, so you're making $36,000 and you're having two jobs. What did you do next? So I'm making 36. I have two jobs. And my boyfriend at the time, who I met in business school, decided that he was going to move back to Argentina to because he was Argentine to start uh, working for his family business. And so he proposes and we get married. And he was additionally quite well off too. But I had at this point been cut off. So in the in the Iranian family, you can't just live with a boy. It's not right. allowed. It's frowned upon. And so my mother said, if you're going to move to Argentina, you have to be married. So at that point, we decided to get married, had a you know civil ceremony. We had a wedding here, a wedding there, all of that. It was you know very grand and lovely and fantastic. And right. we got married. And when I got to Argentina, I started interviewing for jobs because of course, now I have an MBA and I, you know, I have a job. I don't have the the financial squeeze, but I wasn't going to get an MBA and not work. That's just, right. it's, it didn't make sense. So I started interviewing for jobs, didn't, couldn't speak the language well enough to get through these interviews. And I took an intensive course, eight hours a day for six weeks. And all of a sudden it clicked and I went on these interviews and I wasn't getting any jobs. I would ask wow. You know, my husband's family was connected. So I would ask, you know, so-and-so and and -and so-and-so, please get me in for an interview. Mm -hmm. And I realized that nobody was going to help me for whatever reason. Maybe they- Nobody's coming. I always say that. Nobody's coming. Nobody's coming. Nobody is coming. Even if you are married to the head of whatever, nobody's coming Nobody's coming. And I said, Jesus Christ, I'm going to have to do this myself too, like everything else. So, and part of it is that, you know, there are women that don't want you to succeed and they see you living this great life and they think, well, why would I help her? She already has everything, but that's outside of that. So I started 
to write letters. I had it in my head that I wanted to work at AC Nielsen, which is a data, you know, marketing company that, you know, a lot of people are familiar with. So mm-hmm. I wrote to them. I didn't hear back. I sent my resume. I didn't hear, hear back. I sent my resume by email. I didn't hear back. I, I mailed it. Didn't hear back. I faxed it. I didn't hear back. And I just <laughs> kept going and go. And this went on. So, I mean, it was almost Ugh. like stocky behavior, wow. which was not, it was just, you know, pretty much frowned upon with the HR yeah. department. But then I decided that I was going to write them a very compelling letter because I had interviewed at AC Nielsen in LA, but of course I was leaving LA. So nothing ever came of that. And I said, and then I brought in the name of the person who I had interviewed with and I sort of made it personal. And I said, I know so-and-so, which I barely even knew. In right. fact, I don't even think I met them, but I just threw it all in there and right. I hand delivered this resume. And so finally, after three months of pestering, I get an interview and I couldn't believe Amazing. it. I go in. Amazing. I go in and I said, hi, I'm here. And, 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 you know, luckily I got hired, et cetera. And they said to me, you know, when we were in training, they said, Nina, the head of HR, I said, do you know what, do you want to know why I decided to interview you? And I said, what? She goes, I couldn't take another phone call <laughs> or email or fax from you. It was so annoying. Yes, and yes. I just had to get you out of the way. But when I met you, yes. you, you know, I really liked you. And so that was 100% because of my insistence and you got to put your ego away. There's no exactly. room for ego. There's no room for, exactly. you know, well, they're not calling you back. They, they're, they, they, you know, they think they're special or anything like right. that. And if it wasn't for that moment of me pushing, I wouldn't have gotten the job, which wouldn't have led to me being, you know, interviewed and hired by Kimberly Clark, which really began my journey in consumer packaging and product goods. And I then quickly, I'll just jump forward to moving back to Los Angeles after three years of living in Argentina. It was hard for me to live in Argentina. I'll be honest. I loved it. It was Mm -hmm. hard because I was away from my family and I was working full time, which meant I only got two weeks out of the year free, which meant I could only go, you know, and it's a long distance and it's, it's difficult. I could only see my family for two weeks. So you know, the, the payoff was, listen, we'll live, we'll live three years in Argentina, four years in Argentina, and then we can mm-hmm. go live in LA. We moved to LA. I got pregnant. I was 30 years old mm-hmm. when I gave birth. And I realized that I stopped working uh, right when I got pregnant. And I realized that there wasn't a baby store in all of LA that catered to all of my needs. There was, you know, I had to go to Baby's Arrest to get a stroller. I had to go to Mm -hmm. Juvenile Shop to get furniture. I had to go here to buy this. I had to go to Bellini to get that. I mean, it was just all over the place. And I thought to myself, why isn't there one chic store that houses everything? Mm -hmm. And that's when the one-stop shop concept for Petit Trésor began. And I thought at the time that the best thing for me to do is to be able to have my own career in business so that I could be more attentive to my son. Mm-hmm. Not realizing that, in fact, I would have less time for my son because when yes. it's your own business, it's when you're an entrepreneur. Hours. Oh my gosh! Yeah, you work more than anybody. If if you wanted to be successful, right? If you wanted to be successful, yes. yeah. Yeah. You know, before we get into the boutique, I just want to go back because I think this is a really important nugget for for people to take away is the importance of your persistence, which which you spoke about. And we are so afraid of looking desperate, of people thinking badly of us, right? And our self-esteem gets shot every time we're told no. And let me tell you, if I gave up every time I've, I've been told no, I would be absolutely nowhere. And so what was it about you that made you be so persistent? 
was was it desperation? Because for me, a lot of the times it's desperation. I need this job and I, you know, I don't care. But I just want to go back and just briefly touch on that. What was it about you that, that made you persistent and not take that personally? Because we do take that personally, right? Yes. You know, I believe part of it, it was my DNA makeup where I wasn't offended and mm-hmm. And I, you know, I've always been more of a jovial person mm-hmm. and I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but I've always been an optimist. I think that's really right. a part, a big part of it. I'm right. an optimist. So I wasn't thinking the worst thing. I wasn't thinking they don't right. like me. I was just thinking that, you know, once they get to know me, they're yes. going to like me. And right. if they, I just have to get there and on top of it, it was, uh, there's a bit of uh, competitiveness in me. And, you know, I have all my friends that are, you know, graduated business school. Some of them are in, you know, great companies. And Mm -hmm. I can't just be sitting in Argentina living the high life. I'm thinking to myself, I need to, I need to work. And on top of it, I think part of me also wanted to prove to my, to my parents. And Mm -hmm. it was very, the approval of my parents has always been very important, especially my mother. And I know that she was waiting and wondering, well, what's happening? What's happening? Are you, you know, she came to Argentina once and before I got my job and she sat down and she said to me, Nina, you know, I, I can see that you've made all these plans. You're going to the, you know, you're going to France to look at World Cup play soccer and, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to whatever to do this and you're going mm-hmm. to Miami to do that. But, and none of your plans have I heard you talk about what job you're going to tackle. Right. And, right. and that just pierced my heart. And I mm-hmm. said, obviously I'm in my head. I'm like, well, obviously I'm going to find a job. I was just going to have a little bit of fun prior. (laughs) And that's, I think the misnomer that people think that you're either this, this nerdy type a that only wants to work and be successful, or you're this fun, jovial person. You can have a balance. You can work hard and play Mm -hmm. hard. And that came in, you know, later in life where I could work really hard and play really hard because you can't really play hard if you are working 80 hour weeks. Correct. You just, you're burnt out. But, but that comes in the future where you can reap the benefits of your hard work. And I'm just so glad that I never gave up. And then I kept insisting and insisting and insisting. And this theme has played itself out throughout my life because the amount of times that I've been shut down, even in my divorce and the hardships that I've gone through, you know, people just assume, oh, she's, she has this great life. She lives in this great house. Mm -hmm. No, I mean, I've been through some of the worst, I think, personal trauma that you can experience from, from my divorce that I didn't think I could recover from, that I didn't think I was going to, and this theme kept repeating itself. And I could have been one of those victims that, and you would have bought my story. You would have said, Mm -hmm. yeah, I don't blame you for being, I don't blame you for sitting in a hole and crying every day, wondering what you're going to do with your life. Correct. Right. But I didn't, I just kept Mm -hmm. saying, you know what, I'm going to focus on where it's at. Right. And I think it's also a really important lesson for people to understand that not everyone is an optimist like you, right? And I'm an optimist too. Not everyone's an optimist, but you do it anyway. You do it even though you feel uncomfortable. You do it even though you don't want to do it. Even if Mm -hmm. you think the worst is going to happen, you have to learn how to do it anyway. And I, I think that is one of the one of the concerns that I have about Gen Z, and again, I love Gen Z. I, this is not a knock on them, but these are just the things that I see that that's going to affect their success and their money is that they have very little coping skills. So the the second that they feel rejected, rejection happens or something like that, it's automatically a complete failure. And failure means you're not going to do anything. You're just going to stop. 
And, uh, you know, success is built on the back of failure. Like you, I have been through so much and it's only through my failures that I've been able to become better, that I've been able to learn and just being knocked down is really one of the best things that could happen to you because that is where your true grit comes in. That is where you truly show yourself who the hell you really are to build yourself back up. So, all right, let's go back to your amazing boutique. So you open this boutique and what, what happens from there? I opened this boutique a week, literally a week into its opening. I find out that my husband's having an affair <gasps> and oh my gosh. Um, I, I couldn't believe it. It, it wasn't like, Oh, oh we always expected him to do something like that. Right. He was not that guy. I mean, oh. fully Catholic, Right, church right. wedding, you know, praying wow. to God, all of those yes, things that you yes, would expect. Yes. And I was devastated. Absolutely oh my devastated. Gosh, Nina. Yeah. So wow. I'm not going to go into all of that because that's a yeah. really long and, and drawn sure. out story. But it, needless to say, it was exceedingly painful. Mm-hmm. And I was pretty much left holding the bag with every respect. Wow. Oh and I so had sorry. a one a one year old, one and a half year old son. I mean, oh. I was literally a single mother now. So I'm I'm a single mother with a business that I literally just opened that of course isn't profitable yet. And then sure. I look at myself, you know, after having a few panic attacks and ending up in the mm-hmm. hospital and not knowing, you know, what, what was going to happen, etc. I decided that the only way that I'm going to get through this is to put every ounce of my energy into this business and making it work. Because you see, I had gotten a $100,000 loan from the SBA. I was very familiar with the SBA, as you know, and I knew <laughs> yes. as a woman, I was a minority. So I said, okay, I can get this $100,000 loan. I'm going right. to do this myself. Originally, I was going to start this baby store with the um, help of my husband right. and his family who had, you know, tremendous wealth. And so uh, they said, yeah, we're going to invest in your business. It'll be great. I said, listen, I'm going to pay you back the whole thing. And then last minute, right before, literally after months of due diligence and all of that, they decided to pull out and they said, sorry, Nina, we're not going to help you. We're not going to fund your business. And I said, okay, I understand. Cause I didn't expect it. I was grateful right. that they were even going to do it. So I said, you know what? I thought to myself, I'm not going to give up on this idea of, of opening this one-stop shop. I know it's going to be successful. So I'm going to go to the SBA and I'm going to get that woman. I know that women are yes. minorities and I'm going to get $100,000. Right. I got $100,000 right. in a matter of weeks. It was like two weeks approved. Here's $100,000. Right. So I opened the store and I felt really empowered. And then I found out my husband was you know, cheating. So I realized, okay, now I have this $100,000 loan. I can't just walk away. Right. If the business is not profitable, I'm going to get very little money to live and uh, and I'm not going to fight for it. I'm not going to fight for more money because I knew that my energy would go into trying to get what was rightfully mine. Interesting. And that was going to take away from me being able to be successful. Interesting. Wow. I mean, it took it took a minute to come to that conclusion. But yes, in, in yes. Speaking, you know, my sister happens to be the top divorce attorney in town, luckily. Not wow. Yes. And we decided collectively that even though it was rightfully mine, you know, the apartment that we owned together mm-hmm. that was we purchased, you know, right. which was paid for in cash, etc. All of its belongings mm-hmm. and all of art and everything else that I was going to walk away from it. And wow. I was going to put my head up and wow. power through. And if if I hadn't made that decision, I don't think I would be sitting here today. So there have been moments in my life, you know, the cutting off from my father, the cutting off from my husband, it seems to mm-hmm. be a, a thread 
Right. A recurring theme. And I think that it's not because of me. It's because nobody is supposed to take care of you in life. Sure. I mean, if someone happens to do it, Amen. Lucky, but you know, great, but do not rely on anyone to take it. The moment you rely on someone taking care of you is the moment the plug is pulled, at least for me. 100%. And so, 100%. 100%. So I never relied on a man after that moment. I mean, I got one lesson from my dad and then I had to get a second lesson. I truly believe these came from God. And yes. I said, you know what? Never, ever, ever again am I going to rely on anyone on this planet. Nobody, not yes. my children in the future, not my husband, not my yes. second husband. So I got married again. Do not rely on him whatsoever. In fact, I didn't even want to marry him for 17 years because I'm like, I don't want to be... <laughs> You know, like I'm, I'm my own person. Like I was yes. born Nina Takish. I'm a dying Nina Takish. I don't. That's why I'm not why getting married. Be... <laughs> don't that's get married. Exactly what, that's not why. That's exactly why I'm not getting married. Yeah. And I put it out there. No one knows. But yeah, because I'm like, there's a reason. <laughs> you know, I, I like reason. my own identity. Yeah. 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 And, exactly. And Nina, just you're you're just dropping so much knowledge. I I I love it, and I think it's important to note that. It was the hardship that you decided to take. It was the harder route that got you to where you are today. The easy route is not going to take you to success, period. You could have easily been like, you know what? I'm going to fight him for so much money. I'm going to take half. I am just going to, you know, but that ultimately would not have fulfilled you and it would not have gotten you to this amazing career that you have today. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. 100%. Okay. And I would have maybe been complacent or, right. I, I don't know, it was much harder to go through what I had to go through. And it was a daily struggle. I remember right. on top of it, I had to bear the burden of our employees um, on sure. this business. It wasn't just my life. It was, you know, these, these girls that were working for us. So not only did I have to worry right. about myself, my son, right. taking care of him, getting full-time care and working at the same time, but then mm-hmm. I had to worry about all the employees, making sure they were, they were paid and retail is very up and down. So it mm-hmm. was... It was, I would say my thirties were the worst time of my life. I mean, everybody, for some reason, my thirties and Mm -hmm. up until like 45, those were the most difficult years. And I don't know if I really enjoyed them. I'll be honest. It was was hard. Yeah. No, I I, I absolutely. I mean, I think mine really started when my parents passed. So a little bit earlier, probably from 25 to about 35 was, was really, really hard. It was a really, you know, huge struggle, but you know, you overcome it, right? It's 10 you years do. of your life, but you overcome it. All right. So here we are where you have the store. What happens next? I'm dying to know. <laughs> I really <laughs> the store. I know it's, it gets very juicy. So the store, unfortunately, you know, I, I, I decided to close the store bef- right before the pandemic for a host of reasons that I can't even get okay. into on this podcast because mm-hmm. it's just too long and, and drawn out. But Needless to say, it needed to be done. It wasn't mm-hmm. something that I really wanted to do, but I had to do. I was forced mm-hmm. into it. And it was sad. It was the end of a, of a great, you know, two decades almost that we had this operation. You know, we were exceedingly successful. We had a line at Target under the brand. Wow. We had Babies R Us. We had Bye Bye Baby. We did a Burlington coat. You know, you name it. We mm-hmm. licensed this product out. Mm-hmm. I learned more from this job than any other job that I've ever had because I had to learn and do everything in terms of business. So, you know, managing mm-hmm. people, HR. Because right. it's a small boutique, you have Absolutely. to do everything, social yes. media, licensing agreements, you right. name it, I did it. Right. And 
It was, you know, aesthetically designing the store, you know, mm-hmm. buying, the, you know, for the store, custom orders, nurseries. I mean, it was just right. full on. And those were the difficult years because it was just so, uh, retail is so difficult. So right. closed it. And now I am almost 50. Okay. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> and now I am left, I can't even sell this business, which had a great goodwill value. Could have mm-hmm. made, I could have, you know cashed in there but couldn't and now I'm stuck without really a job right per Mm -hmm. se and what am I going to do with my life now so this is this is you know in my late 40s 40s, right yeah I'm 51 now so this was three years ago three four years ago so I decided that there was one thing I was really good at and that was social media and design because I was doing these nurseries for literally, you know, as you mentioned, Gwen Stefani's yes. nursery. We did, we did together. Jennifer Jen Lopez, Lopez. <laughs> uh, Britney Spears. I mean, we did crazy, all of these nurseries. Crazy. I, Madonna, I, wow. you name it. And wow. so I had, I already had clients that knew me as an interior designer because sometimes the, the nursery would trickle into other rooms because they really mm-hmm. enjoyed working with me. So I just started to say, okay, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to share my passion of interior design and see where that takes me. Now, mind you, I'm almost 50 years old. I've got a big reserve now. I, I've learned right. my lesson. I've got money sure. in the bank. I have at least a two yep. to three year plan, if not longer. Like I'm right. not, I, my $4 a day budget is no longer. <laughs> and that's, you know, this is, it's, you know, it's, it's opportunity yes. meets preparedness. I was prepared. I wasn't prepared at 23 and I wasn't prepared at 2930, but I was, I was partly prepared at 2930, which is why I got through it, but I was definitely prepared at 47. And so I said, I'm just going to follow my passion. And my passion has always been interior design. I've, you know, built my own house. I've done, you know, other people's homes in in my family, et cetera. And I am going to go in a hundred percent. And within a matter of, I kid you not, I, don't, I think it even overlapped. I don't think I was unemployed for more than 30 seconds. I had a client, a wonderful client that hired me, and I just started working immediately. Wow. And my Instagram wow. blew up because it was early days of Instagram where people yeah. weren't, they wasn't as saturated. And I yeah. was really authentic about sure. my passion. It wasn't me trying to solicit business. I didn't right. know if it was going to be a business. I just said, listen, I'm just going to do what I love. If something comes of it, let it come. And exactly. I think the authenticity and the love of design came through from other people who love design as well. And it just grew into what it is today. And it went and it's gone fairly, fairly quickly because, as I mentioned, preparedness meets opportunity. So it's not luck. People say, oh, you're so lucky. You got right. this, this, and you're so lucky. You got that. I said, yeah, it's not, it's not luck. It's 47 years of hardship, hard work, determination, and never giving up. And here I am. Absolutely. I I love your story. And I I love what you said about, you know, that it's years and years of hard work, right? So I get a lot of people telling me, wow, you're an overnight TikTok success. You're an overnight success. And I'm like, no, there's no way that I could be talking about the things that I'm talking about had I not had you know, 40 years of experience, right? I mean, all those mistakes that I made, all my failures, all those things, that is what gets me to talking about the things that I talk about now, which people are enjoying, right? And, you know, they, there's, there's a famous saying that 
overnight success is always 10 years in the making. And uh-huh. I remember, uh-huh. and I remember uh, this was really interesting. Lizzo was being interviewed and she was talking about how she used to play at a bar with zero people in the bar. I mean, zero. <laughs> she goes, it was, just, it was like her band and the bartender and, and like the door guy, you know? Yeah, yeah. But that is where the preparation came in. That's where the practice came in. She didn't care. She just kept doing it. And I think that is a really important lesson that we can t- take away is that when you look at someone that's successful, I promise you that has so much story behind it. So many stories of failures and rejection and just perseverance that is getting them to where they are today. So don't, don't think that your first job is you're, you're just going to be a superstar and that's it. You're going to have to work hard. You have to pay your dues and there's no other way around it. So I want to finish the podcast by asking you a question. My question is, what would you say to your younger self about the importance of being financially independent in a relationship? Oh, wow. I would say to my younger self to, again, first thing I'd say is never rely on a man, period, mm-hmm. end of story. Whether it's your father, right. whether it's your husband, whether it's your significant other, no one should be responsible for you but you. And the other thing I would have said to myself or advice I would give my younger self is just trust in the process. And yes, this yes. too shall pass. There were days where yes. I didn't think I could get to the next day. And the only way that I could get through one day to the next was to say, okay, we're going to focus on the next 12 hours. We're not going to look past the 12 hours. So never right. look too far into the future because you know, you can't, you, you can't determine what's going to happen in the future. The past is already the past. So dwelling on that is of no use. Sure. You really only have the present. And so all you can do is focus on right now and today. And you Absolutely. will see that all of the, the, the talk in your brain that's never a positive discussion in your brain that takes place, <laughs> wipe that out. Don't listen yes. to it. Tell it it's not you. Make it go away. So I think that, that is the advice I would have given myself. Just focus on today and the right now and do the best that you can every day. That is just such valuable advice. And, you know, you you just gave us so many nuggets to think about and take away from this podcast. I Thank so you, appreciate Patty. you joining us. It's been fabulous having you on. Hopefully we'll have you on again. And to the listeners, thank you for joining us. And never forget that a man is not a financial plan.